To protect their privacy, patients' names have been changed throughout this episode. We've chosen pseudonyms to present this story. Andrea Duval checked in at her neurologist's office just before her 11 a.m. appointment. She nervously took a seat on a faux leather couch, hoping today she'd finally get some answers about her chronic headaches. She grabbed a magazine to calm her nerves as an old episode of The Price is Right played softly on the television. While she waited for her name to be called, the bells and whistles of the game show grew to a scream inside Andrea's skull. The lights in the room grew so bright, it felt like an interrogation room. Andrea shifted her focus to a large fern in the corner of the office, hoping the sensitivity would pass. Instead, she was overwhelmed by an unfamiliar sensation. The plant before her seemed to double in size. Soon, it monopolized the room. Even the walls shifted, making space for the giant fern. Andrea looked at the faces of the other waiting patients. Was she the only one witnessing this real-life production of Little Shop of Horrors? When the nurse called her name, the plant shrank back to its normal size. Andrea was so rattled she failed to mention what had happened to her doctor. But this experience was just the beginning. For the next six years, Andrea felt that the world around her was changing into a whimsical fairyland. Rooms stretched 20 feet higher than normal. Houses grew so small, it looked like she could squish them between her fingers. Trees shot off into the distance whenever she got close. Over time, Andrea's fairy tale reality became more and more like a nightmare. She had no idea that she was suffering from a bizarre condition known as Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life-or-death stakes. This is Medical Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them. As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle. You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. This is our special one-part episode on Alice in Wonderland syndrome, commonly shortened to AIWS and sometimes referred to as Todd syndrome. Patients with AIWS experience startling illusions which alter the form, size, and movement of objects. While there have only been a few hundred documented cases, doctors estimate that it actually affects 10 to 20% of the population at one point or another. This week, we'll see why AIWS is so underreported and hard to diagnose. We'll explore Alice in Wonderland syndrome through the book's author, Lewis Carroll, who also may have suffered from the condition. Finally, we'll search for an explanation for the disorder and see what progress has been made to address it. 
We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine waking up one morning to find you've fallen down a rabbit hole. You now live in a twisted fairy tale where people tower 10 feet above you. The ticking of a clock sounds like fireworks exploding in your head. Birds in the distance appear to flutter in your face. Meanwhile, the rest of the world passes you by in slow motion. This concept may sound abstract, but to others, it's a sensation that's terrifyingly familiar. It certainly was for a woman we'll call Josephine. In 2014, Josephine was putting her 10-year-old daughter, whom we'll call Adelaide, to bed. Adelaide often complained about terrible headaches when she was tired. But on this particular night, Josephine's daughter gave her more details about her sensations. Adelaide told her mother that everything in the room was shrinking. Meanwhile, the young girl's body was growing out of control. In that moment, a floodgate of memories reopened for Josephine. She was transported back to a time when she was her daughter's age, in bed with a headache, experiencing that same change in her perception. Josephine recalled telling her mother that everything looked far away, as if she was seeing through the wrong end of a looking glass. Josephine's episodes had lasted anywhere from a few minutes to an hour each time. But no matter how hard she'd tried, she couldn't shake the visions. She'd never told anyone about her experiences, and eventually the condition went away on its own. But as her daughter spoke, she recalled her former hallucinations with terrifying clarity. And now, she feared for her daughter. After Adelaide fell asleep, Josephine began searching the internet. What was this strange condition she and her daughter shared? And was there anything she could do to prevent it? Within minutes of Googling their symptoms, the answer was clear. Josephine and Adelaide both suffered from Alice in Wonderland syndrome. The roots of this condition run deeper than the fairy tale itself. In fact, researchers believe that Alice's storybook journey through Wonderland was inspired by the author's real-life experiences with the disorder. Charles Lutwidge Dodgson of Darsbury, England, was better known by his pseudonym, Lewis Carroll. Born in 1832, Carroll was homeschooled, and like the rest of his siblings, he spoke with a terrible stammer, one that stayed with him for much of his life. Because of his speech impediment, Carroll found himself relating to children better than adults, even in his later years. At the age of 24, Carroll worked at Oxford University as a tutor, where he befriended the campus's dean, Henry George Little. Carol was like an uncle to Little's three daughters, Lorena, Edith, and Alice. 
He loved coming up with magic tricks, poems, and stories to entertain the girls. He'd conjure fantastical tales of surreal worlds painted with outlandish characters. During an afternoon picnic with Little and his children, Carol told the story of a young girl who found herself stumbling into a dreamlike world. The middle sister, seven-year-old Alice, was so enthralled by the tale that Carol named the title character after her. Alice begged him to write it down so she could read it time and again. And for Christmas, Carol gave her the full manuscript along with hand-drawn illustrations. Through a series of coincidences, a publisher stumbled upon his work. In 1865, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was released to critical acclaim. But like many great artists, Carol's work was inspired by his pain. During his rise to fame, Carol kept many diaries about his personal experiences. These accounts implied that the details in his stories were more than just figments of his imagination. Carol spoke of having bilious headaches accompanied by severe vomiting. He also suffered from visual auras or ocular disturbances, which typically included flashes of light or blind spots. Carol wrote about his auras, saying, It began with a distinct loss of a large piece of the area of vision in the left eye, the blind patch being in the right-hand corner. These journals were just one window into Carol's suffering. Modern doctors realized that some of the most critical clues were hiding in the pages of his books. One of the most iconic moments in Alice's story appears in Chapter 2 of the novel. Alice discovers a bottle labeled Drink Me. After consuming the mysterious beverage, she shrinks to the size of a bowling pin. This might have been Carol's way of conveying a symptom called macropsia. Patients who experience macropsia believe other objects get very large while they perceive themselves as smaller. Carol also seemed to demonstrate another symptom, commonly seen in patients with AIWS. His books depicted micropsia, where objects appear to grow much smaller and the subject feels much bigger than the things surrounding them. After Alice drank the liquid, she consumed a cake that made her grow so large her head could reach the ceiling. Alice also exemplified symptoms of teleopsia, where objects appear further away than they actually are, and the opposite, pelopsia, where objects at great distance appear to be much closer and clear as day. Researchers believed that Carol showed this by writing, Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. Goodbye, feet. Carol may have also used Alice to illustrate his experiences with depersonalization, another common symptom associated with the disorder. Those who experience depersonalization often feel as if they are observing themselves from outside of their body, as though their life is not their own. Identity, thoughts, and feelings can feel unreal or like they do not belong to the person experiencing them. In Chapter 2, Alice says, I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? 
Based on these passages, researchers believe that Alice was a surrogate for Carol's own symptoms, a fictional way for the author to interpret what he was experiencing in real life. And Carol wasn't the only artist who may have suffered from these mysterious visions. In 1726, author Jonathan Swift demonstrated the symptoms of AIWS in his novel, Gulliver's Travels. In Swift's book, Gulliver encounters people on Lilliput's Island who are only six inches tall. He also mentions a land called Brobdingnag, with inhabitants over 70 feet tall, which doctors believe was his way of expressing macropsia. 19th century German painter Kata Kalwitz also documented her experience with what appeared to be Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Kalwitz's journal were full of entries about objects that grew larger or smaller before her eyes. Art historians believe her perceptual disorder caused Kalwitz's artistic style to pivot from naturalism, which realistically expresses details, to expressionism where the artist's work is influenced by their emotions. The subjects in Kalvitz's art displayed much larger heads and hands, which may have been her way of articulating the syndrome. It's unclear whether Kalvitz or Swift ever visited a physician in regards to their possible syndrome, but the chances were slim. Conditions like these, that would have seemed linked to mental health, weren't taken seriously until the 20th century. And in Carol's day, people simply didn't see psychologists or therapists. No one wanted to be pegged as someone who was potentially losing their mind. But Carol did see a doctor for his condition. In 1856, the author consulted an ophthalmologist, an eye specialist, about his visions. According to Carol's journal entries, the oculist told him there was nothing that he could do to cure him. The doctor did recommend a few things he believed could help Carol manage his symptoms. He advised not reading for a long time, especially not on a moving railroad car. Instead, he suggested Carol choose books with a larger typeface and read only in good lighting. It's possible he thought Carol's condition stemmed from eye strain. Unfortunately, Lewis Carroll died in 1898 without knowing the root cause of his potential condition. In fact, it would be another 50 years before someone started to piece the syndrome together. In 1952, American neurologist Caro W. Lipman believed he'd found the answer to the strange sensations of AIWS. Each of these cases seemed to be tied to something millions were all too familiar with. Crippling migraine headaches. Little did Lipman know, this revelation was just the tip of the iceberg. Coming up, the connection between migraines and Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Listeners, here's a show sure to tug at your heartstrings. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, and some don't. In Our Love Story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. 
Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the story. After the publication of his 1865 novel, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, author Lewis Carroll recorded his experiences with crippling headaches and visually impairing auras. It would be another 90 years before doctors realized that Carroll may have been suffering from a rare condition that inspired the images in his books. In 1952, neurologist Caro W. Lipman met three patients who had severe headaches. But unlike most of his clients, these people reported a series of seemingly fleeting symptoms that Lipman had never seen before. His first case was a 38-year-old woman who we'll call Sarah. When Sarah went to Dr. Lipman, she mentioned that just before a recent migraine, she'd felt that her neck had grown over a foot in length. She also said that during her headaches, she felt the sensation of shrinking incredibly small to only one foot in height, while everything else in the room towered over her. Lipman's second patient echoed Sarah's testimony. This 23-year-old woman claimed that during her headaches, her head ballooned to tremendous proportions. But it was so light that it floated up toward the ceiling, creating the illusion that she was extremely tall. When Lipman met his third patient, everything seemed to click. The woman, whom we'll call Liz, said she experienced a feeling of growing short and wide during her frequent migraine attacks. Liz told Lipman it was a Tweedledum or Tweedledee feeling, a reference to two iconic characters in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Lipman was one of the first doctors to connect this medical phenomenon to Carol's novel. He explained, I would hesitate to report these hallucinations, which I have recorded in my notes on migraine, had not, more than 80 years ago, a great and famous writer set them down in a mortal fiction form. The doctor was adamant that Alice's experiences in this story were telltale signs that Carol had also suffered from the same syndrome. And after observing close to a dozen patients with the condition, Lipman felt confident that Alice in Wonderland syndrome was exclusive to migraine sufferers. Today, more than 39 million people suffer from migraine headaches in the United States alone. Many experience chronic migraines, which means they occur at least 15 times a month for more than three months. Despite how common the disease is, the mechanics are still a mystery to doctors and patients alike. But there are a few theories. Migraines seem to begin with external triggers. Sensations that wouldn't usually bother most people can feel like an attack on the senses. Like a bright light coming through an open door or the smell of eggs cooking in the morning. Scientists believe other more common triggers include alcohol, a change in barometric pressure, or hot temperatures. 
Caffeine, dehydration, and excessive use of computer screens have also been known to spark a migraine. Others believe migraines are caused by hormonal changes, which is why they're more common in children going through puberty or women experiencing menopause. During a migraine attack, outside stimuli can suddenly feel like an assault on the brain. Doctors theorize that the body protects itself from this pain by releasing a chemical called serotonin. Serotonin stabilizes our mood, our sleeping patterns, and our digestion. An increase in this chemical can also lead to vomiting, a symptom often associated with migraine headaches. There are typically four different stages a migraine goes through. The prodrome, or the pre-headache, can begin a few hours or even a few days before any pain sets in. During this time, a patient might feel a change in mood, severe food cravings, and lethargy, possibly because the serotonin levels are already starting to increase. Then there's the aura phase. Auras include anything from flashing lights, floaters, and loss of peripheral vision or other blind spots. They typically last anywhere from five minutes to an hour, much like in Alice in Wonderland syndrome. About 40% of people experience some type of aura with their migraines. Then there's the headache stage. Migraine headaches, which are accompanied by nausea, light sensitivity, and anxiety, can last from an hour to more than three days. The final stage is called the postrome, or the migraine hangover. Here, the patient may experience stiffness in the neck, dizziness, and exhaustion once the headache has subsided. Lipman hypothesized that the cause of Alice in Wonderland syndrome lay somewhere in these migraine stages, especially because the condition seemed to go away on its own over time. Its symptoms would fade once the migraine was over. But the migraine theory didn't prevail for long. In 1955, a British psychiatrist named John Todd made some new discoveries about the condition. Not only did Dr. Todd give it an official title, Alice in Wonderland Syndrome, but he also wrote a detailed and thorough description of its symptoms. Some of his patients spoke of their feeling of being split in two, a symptom called somatopsychic duality. Others said they saw colors that changed before their eyes. For example, one girl claimed that her mother's face appeared green. This sensation is referred to as dyschromatopsia. Todd's patients also complained about a deceleration in time, as if everything around them was moving in slow motion. He also found that many patients experienced something called zoopsia, visual hallucinations of animals. People who experienced zoopsia often claimed that swarms of creatures like birds or bugs were flying around their heads. But unlike Lippmann, only some of Todd's AIWS patients suffered from migraines. He found that the syndrome could also stem from other causes, like anxiety. One 17-year-old female patient had a history of anxiety without migraines, yet she frequently felt that her body was shrinking to half its size. She also complained of teleopsia, meaning objects appeared much further away than they actually were. Another client, 
a 39-year-old woman with anxiety and panic attacks, claimed her body grew so large she could fill an entire room. Todd also discovered that two of his patients had a history of epilepsy, a neurological condition that disrupts the connection between neurons. It can cause seizures, loss of consciousness, unusual sensations, confusion, and out-of-character behavior. A case study by Dr. Petra J. G. Zweinenberg in the Netherlands mentioned a nine-year-old girl who suffered from AIWS in conjunction with her epilepsy. For four days, she experienced a series of attacks which consisted of headaches and anxiety accompanied by micropsia and macropsia, where objects seemed to shrink or grow, respectively. Ultimately, Todd identified that the syndrome was, quote, intimately associated with migraine and epilepsy, although not confined to these disorders. Soon, two unique cases of AIWS appeared in the medical world, and they indicated that there was something else going on. In 1975, an 18-year-old college student who we'll call Monica developed an itchy rash on her body, which persisted for over four days. She also had a terrible case of pharyngitis, or swelling, in the back of the throat. A few weeks later, Monica's symptoms worsened. She had no appetite. But the most unsettling part was her strange visual distortions. Objects seemed distant and out of focus. She felt as if her body would shrink and then grow to the size of a room. She also said the world appeared to her through a fisheye lens. Monica's physician referred her to a psychiatrist, probably because they thought her condition was stress or anxiety related. But the psychiatrist couldn't find any signs of psychosis in Monica. In March of that year, Monica was recommended for an EEG examination to monitor the electrical activity in her brain. She may have been suffering from an undiagnosed case of epilepsy, but Monica's EEG came back normal. However, doctors did find that her spleen was enlarged, as were her lymph nodes, the glands responsible for fighting off infection. So they tested Monica for something called Epstein-Barr virus. Today, it's better known as mono. Mono is one of the most common viruses in the world. It's spread through saliva and can cause extreme fatigue, fever, sore throat, rashes, and a swollen liver or spleen. Monica's mono test results came back positive. At first, doctors wondered if the virus may have also caused her Alice in Wonderland syndrome. They treated Monica with antibiotics, hoping all symptoms would subside, and most of them did. But her Alice in Wonderland syndrome persisted. At least temporarily. For another nine months, Monica suffered from changes of color in her visual field, body image hallucinations, and teleopsia. Doctors wondered if Monica was some sort of medical anomaly, until more patients with mono displayed the same symptoms. In July 1975, a 17-year-old girl experienced fatigue, blurred vision, and slight headaches. This patient, who we'll call Jessica, didn't feel herself growing in size or shape. Instead, she felt that objects around her shrank or expanded. 
She also showed signs of an enlarged spleen and pharyngitis, and she later tested positive for mono. Like Monica, her AIWS symptoms persisted for two months after she healed from mono. Sometimes she'd experience two or three hallucinations a week. Then, like Monica's, they disappeared without a trace. These cases spun earlier theories about AIWS on their heads. None of these patients had a family history of seizure disorders or migraines, and none of them had taken any form of hallucinogenic drugs. These cases appeared to be directly tied to mono or the Epstein-Barr virus itself. And yet, doctors couldn't explain why a rare syndrome like AIWS was connected to some of the world's most common medical conditions like mono and migraines. But there had to be a definitive reason why some patients went spiraling down the rabbit hole. Coming up, we'll explore what happens in the mind of a patient with AIWS. Now, back to the story. By 1975, it was clear that Alice in Wonderland syndrome wasn't just a result of migraines and epilepsy. Patients with bacterial infections like the Epstein-Barr virus were also susceptible to the hallucinations. But it would be another few decades before doctors had the resources to understand why. In 2014, Josephine discovered that her 10-year-old daughter, Adelaide, suffered from the same condition she'd had as a child. In search of answers, Josephine eventually reached out to Stanford neurologist and migraine specialist, Dr. Sheena Aurora. Dr. Aurora had worked with more than 25,000 patients throughout her career, yet Josephine and her daughter were only the third family to mention Alice in Wonderland syndrome to her. Aurora suspected that the condition may be genetic. She asked Josephine to question other close relatives and see if any of them had suffered from similar visions. After a few conversations, Josephine learned that her 14-year-old son also suffered from the condition. He'd been too ashamed to share his experiences. Josephine's sister also recalled such hallucinations in conjunction with migraines as a child. The same went for their brother. He didn't have migraines, but he did experience AIWS symptoms during his case of mono. And Josephine's cousin had also experienced it, but in her late 20s, in conjunction with anxiety. It was clear to Dr. Aurora that there was some sort of genetic component that made certain families more prone to the condition. She also believed that far more people suffered from the syndrome than had ever been reported. Patients were just too afraid to tell their doctors about it. But the numbers were only part of the mystery. Doctors still aren't clear on how this condition unfolds inside of the brain and why it comes and goes away on its own but they have developed a few theories. Let's circle back to migraines for a moment. The majority of AIWS cases happen in patients with migraines, and it might be a symptom that erupts specifically in the aura stage. One in every three people that suffer from migraines experience auras before their pain occurs. For most of those patients, Auras mean floating lights or the loss of their peripheral vision. 
But for those who are genetically predisposed to Alice in Wonderland syndrome, they see objects as much smaller, larger, closer, or farther away than they really are. Doctors are still struggling to understand what causes these auras, but it may be due to a lack of blood flow to the brain during a migraine. This disrupts the visual cortex, where information from the retina is processed. Those messages are then sent to the parietal lobe, the part of the brain that translates that information. But a disturbance in blood flow can confuse the brain, resulting in auras, or in more extreme cases, AIWS. Except not all Alice in Wonderland symptoms are something the patient can see. Some people reported a change within themselves, a feeling, like growing as big as a room, small and round like Tweedledee, or an elongation of the neck. Doctors also believe this is tied to the lack of blood flow in the posterior parietal lobe. Aside from translating the information received from our ears or eyes, this part of the brain is also responsible for how we perceive ourselves. The posterior parietal lobe is where we generate our own body image. If this part of the brain isn't getting enough blood or oxygen, it can cause the patient to temporarily believe their body length and size have altered. AIWS may be a more severe form of an aura, but that still doesn't explain how patients with no history of migraines can acquire the syndrome. The answer may lie in a 21-year-old patient we'll call Albert. In 2008, Albert was studying for his undergrad degree, which led to many caffeine-fueled overnighters. It was around this time that he started to have recurring episodes of Alice in Wonderland syndrome. One morning, Albert noticed that his feet were sinking into the floor with each step he took. When he looked at his hands, his fingers stretched out into the distance. Parked cars looked like small toys lining the streets. His office chair appeared far too large and high for him to reach. But Albert never complained of excruciating headaches, nor did he have the symptoms of mono or epilepsy. Albert's AIWS grew so severe that it was hard to leave his house. He was afraid to drive, never sure when the next episode would start or how long it would last. Eventually, he saw his general practitioner. His doctor suggested that although Albert hadn't been suffering from any pain, he may have experienced a silent migraine. This gives patients the symptoms of an aura without any signs of a headache. These silent migraines could also explain the situation with Dr. Todd's patients. Remember, many of them experienced anxiety without the pain of a migraine. In fact, their anxiety may also have been a symptom of the silent migraines. As we learned earlier, changes in mood and behavior are commonly seen during the prodrome stage of a migraine, which can result in anxiety or depression. As for patients with epilepsy, mono, and other viral infections, these conditions appeared to be linked to similar changes in the brain. For example, Patients with epilepsy also reported auras preceding their seizures on some occasions. Epilepsy can seem very similar to migraines, as in each case, the brain lets off a chemical or electric charge. 
one that changes or restricts the circulation of blood flow in the brain. And with patients who had mono, their AIWS was triggered by a swelling of tissues in the brain, again limiting the blood flow. So in actuality, these various conditions weren't as different as they seemed. In fact, a 2017 paper by neurologist Dr. Osman Farouk and Dr. Edward Fine mentioned that any condition that caused a lack of blood flow to the visual pathways could lead to AIWS. Meanwhile, modern technology has gotten better at analyzing Alice in Wonderland syndrome. MRIs and CT scans help doctors get a closer look at how the blood circulates in the brain. And they're especially lucky if they can catch someone during an AIWS episode. In 1998, doctors used a new neuroimaging method called SPECT. This technique scanned the brain and provided a three-dimensional look at what was happening in each lobe. They used it on four children between the ages of three and eight, each living with AIWS. Doctors injected each patient with a harmless radioactive isotope that illuminated parts of the brain. Then they managed to capture some of these patients mid-episode, providing a clear picture of where blood flow had decreased. This test provided some of the first concrete evidence that the visual cortices were directly linked to the symptoms suffered by AIWS patients. While doctors are making progress on the connection between AIWS and how the brain functions, there's still a lot left to learn. Like why the condition seems to dissipate on its own over time. On the plus side, symptoms only last, on average, about 10 minutes at a time. But because of this, doctors have a very hard time studying and therefore diagnosing the issue. Currently, there's no concrete test that can confirm or rule out Alice in Wonderland syndrome in a patient. But physicians can eliminate more serious conditions through MRIs and blood tests, hopefully giving the patient some solace that, though troubling, their symptoms aren't indicative of a more life-threatening disease. It's also a bit of a mystery as to how so many people have Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Doctors suspect that the condition may be extremely common, yet largely undiagnosed. A 1989 study in Japan found that out of 3,224 children between the ages of 13 and 18, 6.5% of boys and 7.3% of girls experienced visual symptoms of AIWS. In an overview of 166 studies on AIWS, the most common trigger seemed to be migraines, followed by infections and then epilepsy. Dr. Grant Liu, a pediatric neuro-ophthalmologist in Philadelphia, has been studying children with the condition for years. He claims that parents have a hard time admitting that they also had these symptoms in their youth. Liu says, a lot of family members didn't own up to it on the first go-round. They were almost too embarrassed. People want to be told they're not crazy. The general fear of being labeled with a psychotic disorder has been limiting for researchers, especially those who have been trying to get AIWS recognized by the DSM. 
The DSM, or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, is seen as the authoritative guide that gives credibility to each health condition. AIWS has yet to be included in those pages, which means, according to the medical community, the condition doesn't officially exist. This poses a problem for many patients. In an interview with Vice, a woman we'll call Annie expressed concerns about the informality of an AIWS diagnosis. Annie says she reached out to the Institute of Psychiatry at King's College London for help with her AIWS and received an unsettling answer. She was told, quote, Since this isn't a medically recognized condition, we don't have it listed in any of our databases. In other words, they had no way of locating an expert who could help Annie with her possible syndrome. And with AIWS so underexplored, there's no direct treatment to cure the syndrome itself. Instead, doctors recommend treating whatever disorder it might stem from, whether that's migraines, mono, epilepsy, or anxiety. They also suggest avoiding things that could trigger migraines, like bright lights, loud noises, and alcohol. Instead, a patient can take vitamins and regulate their sleep and dietary patterns. Luckily for most people, Alice in Wonderland syndrome is a temporary condition. While there are rare cases that carry on episodically for years, most patients claim that their symptoms dissipate after a few weeks or months. Many say their Alice in Wonderland syndrome ceased after childhood, allowing them to forget about the experience entirely. In the meantime, doctors continue to research why this condition is seen more frequently in children. It may be because of the hormonal changes in the body that stimulate migraines around puberty, or because mono is more common among school-aged children and adolescents. At least today we have a better understanding of the biological mechanism behind Alice in Wonderland syndrome. But for all we know, there may be something more mysterious happening on a subconscious level. Perhaps deep down, we secretly want to fall down the rabbit hole. We desire the whimsy that only the deepest corners of our imaginations can provide. At least in Lewis Carroll's case, he seemed to turn his nightmare into a fairy tale. But for those living with AIWS, it's safe to assume they would rather not venture into Wonderland at all. Thanks for listening to Medical Mysteries. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Spotify originals from ParCast, like Medical Mysteries for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. 
Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.